0: Thank you. This week and next, we will present a black paper on white racism. Frequently, the definition and effects of racism are greatly misunderstood. Certainly, the impact on blacks can only be described by us. An operational definition of individual racism is subordination of a person or group because of race. But we will focus on the institutional practice of racism. When a group is subordinated by factors indirectly related to race, An example would be a union with all white members. You can only get in the union if a member sponsors you, and automatically whites select one another. So this pattern of selection automatically keeps blacks out. The union is white in the first place because its membership reflects the leftover patterns of slavery. Therefore, racist behavior is both intentional and unintentional. Our institutions mostly involve unsuspecting individuals, who are part of a racist pattern. All definitions of black people's standards and values have been defined by whites in a society basically European. As simple as it may seem, we have never made any definition of our condition, beauty standards, social etiquette, even our names have been given us by white culture. To make an authoritative statement of our concept of Christianity, history, education, values and culture, war, colonialism and imperialism, and psychological development, and how these institutions operate in a white racist society, six black scholars and philosophers have been invited to present positions and analyses of these topics. With me tonight are John Henrik Clark, an associate professor of African and Afro-American history at Hunter College in New York. Mr. Clark is also author of 11 books, including Harlem, USA. Preston Wilcox, head of the education workshop of the Congress of African People, is president of Afram Associates, a black educational consultant firm, and is an outstanding author. Reverend Albert Clegg, pastor of the Shrine of the Black Madonna in Detroit, Michigan, and an advocate of black Christian nationalism. He is author of a soon-to-be-published book, Black Christian Nationalism, New
1: Directions for the Black Church. Brother Clark? I'd like to begin by establishing some kind of a frame of reference Exactly what are we talking about? And I think in order to do this, I'm gonna try to dismiss the subject, then come back to it and deal with it. There is no such thing as a race. Nature created no races. Man created races, racial classifications, and he had his own reason for doing it. Now, who benefited from this artificial creation at first? Who benefits from it now? Now, let's look at the historical roots of this whole thing, and you're not going to understand it until you understand the implications, the far-reaching effects of the opening up of the so-called new world, Christopher Columbus and other thugs coming, suppressing the, um, the Indians, and finding a justification for this kind of thing. Let's look at Europe in the 15th and the 16th century because racism has its roots in that second rise of Europe in the 15th and the 16th century. They had to justify what they were going to do to most of mankind. They were about to take over the whole world. Now, there's a myth about an argument about whether the world was round or flat. That's an old wise tale. The European had gained enough knowledge and had enough guns and he had been hungry enough within the body of Europe until he decided that he was gonna go out and take the world, be it round or flat. Now, in order to understand the religious basis of racism, we have to go back to a papal bull that the Pope issued in 1455 in an argument between Portugal and Spain he turned to them impatiently and said, you are both authorized to reduce to servitude all infidel people. And it just so happens that most of the so-called infidels were non-European people, um, non-white people. Europe not only had its basis for racism, it had its basis for the slave trade, and this same basis would be good in the colonial system that followed. Racism was created to justify the slave trade, to justify the colonial system, and to justify the utter ruthlessness that had to go into the making of modern capitalism. Brother Wilcox?
2: Uh, let me begin by suggesting that the clearest evidence of racism in education is the essential control over black education. Both in so called integrated settings and in segregated settings, uh, by white people, uh, many of whom are incapable of responding to the people they're educating as people, uh, many of whom uh, are incapable of understanding the culture and the history of the, of the people they're educating, uh, many of whom um, really uh, do not see any kind of responsibility for involving these communities and managing their own education. A second kind of aspect is the the ability of uh, white communities to keep black people out of their communities, and still yet exercise some influence over the education in black communities. That is, uh, even when there's no blacks in the white community, whites are still having some kind of influence over the education in black communities. Uh, a third example is the ways, way in which our schools are organized. Uh, despite the fact that we know we live in a racist society, the schools, continue to be organized as though racism does not exist. That is, there's been no real shift of power within the school, there's been no effective change in the content, uh, there's been no uh, forthright recognition of the politics involved in, 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 uh, in education. For instance, in New York City, about 55% of the, of the students are black and Puerto Rican, yet we have one black and one Puerto Rican member on a school board of five people. So, three white people are making decisions that affect 55% of people whom they may not be able to respect as people. Reverend Clegg?
3: Well, I think the the basic uh, reason or uh, symptom or proof for the racism of the Christian church is the simple fact that white people have pretended for so long that, that Jesus was white and that they've had the necessity to, uh, to interpret Jesus as being white when. Essentially, white Christianity is uh, racially, uh, is is, uh, historically false and uh, uh, theologically absurd and uh, uh, practically in terms of its effect on black people, it's a debasing uh, institution that enslaves black people. I think we have to understand though that this, we're not making moral judgments here. Any institution that exists in any society exists to serve the interests of the people who set it up. And Christianity uh, began as a black man's religion. It's an African religion. We have to remember that uh, Israel went into Egypt with 70 people and after approximately 750 years came out with over 2 million people and uh, hordes of other slaves who came out and became also part of the emerging new nation of Israel. So Israel, the biblical Israel, was a black nation, an African nation that came out of, uh, uh, of, of Africa and kept constant ties with Africa. And so we have to remember then that Jesus was a, was a black messiah, not a, not a white messiah. And he comes out of the whole uh, historical background of, uh, of Africa, of African traditions, of uh, African history, of African culture, the concept of uh, communalism, the concept of a chosen people, the concept of uh, kingdom of God on earth, all the, these things were uh, 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 out of African tradition, not out of the white man's tradition. And Jesus was essentially a revolutionary Messiah who was trying to lead a black people in a revolt, in a struggle, in conflict with a white gentile oppressor. So the whole church has to be viewed from the point of view of the white oppressor. The white oppressor has one kind of Christianity, has one kind of church. The black church has to become independent and go back to the historic African roots of Christianity because the slave church that the white man set up for black people tends to continue the enslavement of black people. So the black church has to become, again, a revolutionary instrument in the hands of black people, controlled by black people, fighting, as Jesus fought, for the liberation of black people against white gentile oppression.
1: I'd like to continue from Reverend Clegg's um, point and deal briefly with image because image is the paramount factor in keeping racism alive. Now, exactly when did the Christian church become um, become white? Inasmuch as Christ is described in early literature as being swarthy and having hair like sheep's wool, and that's surely not a Caucasian's hair, um, the uh, first image of the church, the first image of the Madonna was the black Madonnas, and these black Madonnas were very prevalent in the churches of Europe up until the 16th and the 17th century. There was no white Madonnas in the churches of Europe, and some of the churches of Europe to this very day have black Madonnas. All right. At what point did Christianity become um, all white, and at what point did Christ become a blonde, blue-eyed person that hangs in your churches, and with a haircut and a uniform, he'd probably be a good Nazi. All right. One thing the Jews seem to have forgotten is that the picture of Christ as in present day literature is an insult to them because uh, there's nothing particularly Jewish um, about him physically or or otherwise. All right, now, another thing we're going to have to look at seriously is that when the Europeans projected themselves out into the broader world, they not only colonized most of mankind. they colonized the teaching of history itself, and gradually, so many things black, became, um, became white.
3: I'd like to just say one little word about the, when did Christianity become white. The process uh, by which Christianity became gradually to be interpreted as being white began at a very early point with uh, Apostle Paul, who wrote the uh, epistles of the New Testament and who was, even at that time, with black Israel and black Jews, a, an Uncle Tom Jew. Uh, he was an Uncle Tom black Jew, and he uh, wanted to identify with white Gentile world. He prided himself on being a Pharisee, but more on being, uh, having Roman citizenship. So as soon as he had uh, sunstroke on the Damascus road and said he's been converted, he started out to take uh, the, the Christianity, the teachings of Jesus to the Gentile world. Now, he could not take. The revolutionary teachings that Jesus had actually taught because Jesus was a zealot and they they were engaged in revolution I mean open revolution he was one of the the zealot uh, leaders at that time so he couldn't take that to the gentile world so he had to had to make a an image a symbol out of Jesus on the cross which was uh, compatible with the heathen symbolism of the Roman and uh, uh, a Greco-Roman heathen world. So he made Jesus a kind of a a heathen symbol that he could take to the Gentile world. And the whole writings of the Apostle Paul tend then to destroy the basic (coughs) uh, African background of Christianity and to make it compatible with the uh, Greco-Roman heathen world. So it, it began there, but the actual identification of Christianity as being a white religion didn't really take place until the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries, when the pictures were being painted uh, and and paid for by the uh, Catholic Church. At that point, white people had decided to declare black people inferior, and so the whole concept of, 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 of Jesus being black, of the Madonna being black, was unacceptable to white people at all. A whole new type of slavery was beginning to emerge, the old type of slavery in Egypt Joseph was a slave who rose to be second only to Pharaoh, a whole different concept to slavery. You were a slave only in the terms that your labor was taken. But gradually the white man declared that anyone who was non-white who was enslaved was declared to be inferior, therefore had a whole different kind of existence. So the whole gradual thing was a part of the slavery process that Dr. Clark mentioned, a part of the, uh, the betrayal of the Apostle Paul, and a part of the, the fall of uh, Jerusalem and the fort, and when Jews were scattered all over the world. We have to remember one thing I think is very important, that the white Jews that we see today have no bloodline connection with, with the Jews of the biblical period. They were converted to Judaism in Europe and in, 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 uh, in Russia. They were converted and have no bloodline connection with the black jews who make up the biblical israel that the bible writes about and of which jesus was a part but what happened to the black jews the black jews are still in existence they're black jews in america they're black jews all over africa they're black jews in palestine they're black jews everywhere uh, diane's daughter complained not not more than two years ago that black jews had moved on either side of her house and therefore her property had depreciated in palestine black jews had depreciated her property Jews uh, had moved directly from Palestine to India, and the the community celebrated its uh, 1900th uh, uh, anniversary or something, and they had white Jews who had emigrated from Europe, and black Jews who had originally come from Jerusalem at the fall of uh, uh, Jerusalem, had an uninterrupted straight line of connection from the fall of Jerusalem to to India. All over the world there are black Jews, but the, the Zionists... Jews who had been converted to Judaism have taken over the the, the control of uh, the definition of what Judaism is, as white people do with anything. If they come into it, they take it over and define what it is, as as you stated in your introductory statement. So we have to remember that white Jews, when you see them on the street, are not the Jews of the biblical period. And that sometimes confuses black people who ought to be black Christian
1: nationalists.
2: One of the things I'm hearing from both of uh, the brothers is that not only have whites tried to deceive blacks about uh, the realities, but they in effect, deceived each other about the realities. That is, uh, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, the institutions in this society, all of which are racist, you know, which whites created and which whites have used in order to advance themselves, but never at any point uh, stopping recognizing, for instance, that the prisons have nothing to do with rehabilitation or that the courts, in most cases, really have nothing to do with justice.
0: What about school? what, the schools? What, what is really specifically is, uh, is a racist pattern, to, in your opinion, as far as the educational process or the schools is concerned?
2: Well, I would say that the overwhelming educational process uh, that is racist is a tendency to educate people against their own interests, that is, to educate black kids to hate themselves, to educate (laughs) blacks uh, to feel alienated from their own people, uh, to educate blacks to uh, become advocates for the mainstream against their own community. Well, how is
0: that done, specifically?
2: Well, I would say that, you know, the traditional educational process is number one, the concealing of the truth about history, uh, the educating of black students away from the problems of their own community. For instance, very few black students on college campuses uh, are enabled to use their minds to work on the problems that bedevil the black community, like sickle cell anemia or the housing problems, uh, the drug problems, problems that are imposed on the black community by, by the outside. Very few black students on white campuses or any campus are spending their energies and their minds on trying to find solutions to those problems. In most cases, they're being educated, say, with a drug problem to learn how to uh, use methadone. You know.
1: now, look, <laughs> let's deal with our own historical naivete. Mm-hmm. Until we deal with it, we're not going place. Mm-hmm. Black people have no right to expect anything from this establishment because it wasn't set up for them. They wasn't brought to this country to be given democracy. They were brought to this country to do some work to labor and to obey, and once the machines made a whole lot of these jobs obsolete, it tended to make a whole lot of the people obsolete. Now, we keep worrying about the American promise and the American dream, and we forget it wasn't made to us. And the white man has not betrayed anything because he didn't promise us anything in the, um, in, in the first place. Now, the role of institutions in a, dominant, in, in a society is to reflect the power that controls that society. So we have American institutions arrayed against us, and we naively expect these institutions to reform themselves, because if they reform themselves, that's tantamount to presiding over their own demise. I'd
3: like to say one thing on that, I think the question you asked is how how do the schools Accomplish this. I mean, you you were concerned about the process. I think we got to understand that there's no such thing as objective truth, which is implicit in in, in everything Dr. Clark says. That that white people use the institutions to to accomplish white purpose. The white purpose is to maintain a power position and keep everybody else in a subordinate, powerless kind of position. Now that's the institution's purpose, and that's what it—that's the way it functions and how it functions. And we got to realize then that that everything that the schools teach is designed to fit into that purpose. The schools teach not objective truth, but what the white man wants to project as truth. Now that's from the, from the very kindergarten right straight on well, through. Well, for
0: example, what?
3: Why, uh, sociology. Sociology is not a science in the sense that it's dealing objectively with the way people live together. It's dealing with the white man's pattern of living together as the norm by which we judge how other people live. If you live like white people live, then you're living the way you are supposed to live. If not, you're either primitive or insane as a people psychologically it's the same thing psychology does not deal with uh, any ad, uh, objective kind of uh, discussion or development of how people live or analysis of how people function uh, as individuals but how does the white man function if the white man does it this way then this is the norm by which we judge all other people if the white man is violent then actually all people have to be violent to be normal if you're not violent obviously there's something wrong with you, and you should be in an insane asylum The whole pattern that's set up as a norm for human behavior by psychologists, all the whole library full of it. Psychiatrists, everybody that's dealing with it is dealing with it from a white point of view. So they have, they teach white children, black children and white children to look through white eyes. From the kindergarten on, the black child is beginning to look at the world and interpret it through white eyes. Everything he is, is wrong. Everything that exists in his community is wrong. And we ought to declare that white music really is no good that white psychology is no good. The, black, the white man either acts like we do or he's insane. White sociology is no good. The very structure of white society indicates that white people obviously in social structure are either insane or they're abnormal. So we have to project then a black psychology, a black sociology, a black music, a black history that takes in the realities and that is essentially sound as opposed to the myth, mythology that the white man has developed out of his own uh, ignorance, for one thing, out of his non-creativity, because white man has never created anything, he's stolen things but never created anything, he cannot actually deal with history because history is a recital of his total failure and his total absence of making
0: any genuine contribution now, to the world. If we define a black psychology, a black sociology, uh, where will we use these? Where would we use them?
3: We'd use them first to unscramble our own mixed up minds. If we could understand that black psychology is, is, is the psychology that the black man has to have if he's going to escape from powerlessness in a white man's world. Now, the, the struggle is a struggle between black people for power and white people to keep power. Now, we, all we're dealing with is a power struggle. Every institution that the white man has, he uses in this power struggle. There's nothing wrong with that, nothing immoral about it. any people would do that. When we get on top, we're going to do exactly the same thing. We're going to use every institution to, to perpetuate black power. And the white man's gonna have to fight up from the bottom again for another you know 100 million years trying to get back to a position of power there's nothing wrong with fighting for power but the thing that's wrong is for powerless people to accept their powerlessness and to accept the definition by which they are maintained powerless and to accept the institutions which perpetuate their powerlessness so that's why i think the new the black church has to become a power base for black people in changing this total institutional conception uh, structure that black people are living in. We've got to use it as a base to spin off all the institutions that black people need that come from a black perspective, a black orientation and are concerned with black power as opposed to white power.
1: Let's go back to this value. And I think we, we I don't think we've gone over it too well. Um, we need to look at what kind of societies did black people come out of? What happened before this interference? Now we came out of basic pluralistic societies But we came out of sharing societies where nobody was very rich and nobody at all was poor now an african in these society would no more kill a deer and say this is mine and he would fly because he didn't think that way he thought of all property as belonging to the total community now we were brought into a society as slaves just at the time the concept of private property and capitalism was getting well underway with the backing of the church now there is a clash between the values of the, the best values of the society we came out of and the society that enslaved us and too many of us are tied up with these values the sacredness of private property what is so sacred about private property what is so sacred about one man taking upon himself more than he could use in a lifetime while people walking by this mountain of wealth, starving. Nothing particularly sacred about this. And these things did not exist in these old societies until these old societies began to have internal differences and the European came in and the African naively permitted him to arbitrate an African family dispute until we understand that up on site, the African invited the European for dinner that's the first thing he did. The Indian invited the European for dinner. The Polynesians invited the European for dinner. Now, if you invite people for dinner, you first place, you've got plenty of dinner, and you have a society that is traditionally hospitable to strangers. The Indians invited Christopher Columbus for dinner, the first thing they did. All right. Now let's look at what was happening inside of Christopher Columbus's mind, And we can go to his own diary for this. He said, I wonder why they are so friendly. They'll be easier to conquer than I thought they would be. I wonder why they're bringing such small amounts of gold. I wonder where the mines are. His intentions were not good. It wasn't good then. The intentions are not good now. And the black man is still hung up with this dinner invitation, this kindness, with the thought that if you treat a, create a, treat a person humanely, that he will act humanely toward you. Black people have not seen white people at all. That is why they can't deal with them.
3: I wanna say one, I, I think we, we have to be careful, black people, we, we we're too much tied up in this, what's good and what's bad. I think what we need to begin to look at is what's real. Now, I don't care whether it's good or bad. I just care whether it, it works, whether it doesn't work, whether it helps black people or doesn't help black people. White people are individualistic. White people are materialistic. And I think Dr. Clark is absolutely correct in the definition of a black civilization, African civilization. Communalistic, whole concept is different. But the white man's individualism and materialism stems from the fact that he comes out of a situation, a, a, Uh, a place where you could hardly live. You know, the barren land where, where you could hardly grow, no resources where they had to fight each other just to keep alive and where each person had to try to steal all he could to keep somebody else from getting it so he could stay alive. Now that builds individualism and materialism. Now he didn't have much in the way of materialism, but he had the, the need, the desire. So he built ships, he built guns, everything in order to take something from somebody else. Now you gotta realize that the black man came up in a, in a diff- wholly different kind of environment where there was everything that a person needed. They didn't have to, 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 uh, to cheat and lie and steal to get enough to eat, enough to eat was everywhere. Nobody had to take from somebody else. All the resources of the world were right there in the ground. They had everything. They didn't need to build ships and go conquer someplace else. If if Africans build a ship, where would they go? Any place they went was worse than where they were. But the white man could build a ship and go any place, because any place he went was better than where he was. Anything that he could take was better than what he already had. So we're dealing with the cultures of two people that stem from the kind of situation in which they live. Black people today are trying to be individualistic and materialistic because we are now in a slave culture. The white man has dominated us so completely we try to accept his values. What we've got to do is reject his values, go back and accept the old values that come from Africa, our own historic black values, and have a black value system that we put in opposition to the white man's uh, materialism and individualism.
0: Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, This week we have presented a black paper on white racism part one we have discussed education history and christianity and how these institutions in a racist pattern affect the lives and mentality of black people next week we will present part two we will deal next week with values and culture war colonialism and imperialism and personality development or psychology (laughs)